grass indeed does wither and the flower fades, the word of God abides forever. Would you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time when we can read your word and allow your word to be preached. I thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. And I ask for the grace that I need to make your word plain to your people. And you give my brothers and sisters the grace they need to understand what you would have us to learn this day. And we ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Now hear the reading of God's word from Ephesians 5.17-6.9. through 6, 9. Wrap up this section today. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but he should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of God, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, you will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Well, excuse me, we come to this last set of relationships in this portion of the household code. Bond servants and masters, and then masters and bond servants. Right up front, let me just say the word bond servant can be translated in three different ways. Bond servant is very good. Servant is a little, little less strict. It can also be translated as slave. Slaves. This was written in first century Rome, first century Roman Empire. 
Actually, it was written in Rome. Paul was in the house arrest. It's written in first century Rome. Plenty of slaves around. So we have to deal with the fact that this passage is dealing with you know, one of the great taboos in our current society. And the great taboos in society as a general thing. Slavery. Bond servants. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Paul nowhere, and the Bible nowhere, overturns slavery. But it did die out. A little bit more on that. A little bit more in the sermon. But what this passage is getting at, this entire passage from, from wives all the way down to bond servants, is that we must serve God in the place God has given to us. We must serve God in the place that he has given to us. That doesn't mean that our place can't change. But it has to be changed in a godly fashion. Okay? It has to change in a godly fashion. And just as I sum up this whole passage, remember that there are three sets of relationships. Wives and husbands. Children and fathers or children and parents. Because the father is spoken of as the head of the household. And bond servants or slaves and masters. Those are the three sets of relationships. And remember the context of this passage. That in the first century, the church of Christ didn't have cathedrals. It didn't even have buildings like this. It didn't. They would have been meeting in houses. They would have been small house churches. And it makes sense that the person who had a house that was grand enough and big enough to, to hold a small house meeting, a small church, he would have been probably fairly prominent in the church, most likely an elder. So the man of that house would have been probably an elder in the church, head of the house, and he had to keep his children in line, his wife in line, and his bondservants in line, or else nothing is going to go right underneath that roof. Paul is after domestic harmony here. Is there anybody here who doesn't want domestic harmony? Smiles? Has anybody, no hands, experienced any kind of domestic disharmony in the last month. I stretched it out to an entire month. What we have is tensions between relationships. No matter what relationship you find yourself in, there will be the possibility of intense discrepancy between thought, word, and deed. You can easily tell someone, I love you, and they can easily say, really? <laughs> really? Exactly what are the proofs for that? What have you done? You know, just in the last month, how could you do this and then turn around and say you love me? The person that can then say, I don't know, but they're both true. I know I did this, but I still love you. And what's crazy about human behavior is that very often it's true. The person does love the other person, but has done horrible things to that person. It makes no sense, does it? It makes no sense whatsoever. It's not supposed to make sense. When we come to something that is obviously sinful, if we try and understand the rationale behind it, we'll, run our, we'll play Ring Around the Rosie forever and ever. Sin itself is irrational. Sin itself is crazy. So when we go to it, we need to realize that we're dealing with crazy behavior, crazy thoughts, and crazy words. If you've ever spoken to someone who is truly mentally ill or mentally unstable, 
And if you're trained at all in this, you realize very quickly, okay, we're not, we're not exactly on the... I'm not, I'm not being facetious here. We're not exactly on the same planet here. So I have to speak in a way that this person understands me so that this person does not become volatile and make everybody's life a, a living quagmire. So when we deal with relationships and we deal with the problems within those relationships, we have to realize that the scriptures deal with relationships because they are abnormal under the fall. Husbands do not treat their wives the way they should. Wives do not respect their husbands the way they should. Children do not obey their parents in the Lord. And fathers and mothers exasperate their children on a continual and daily basis. And we come here now to bond servants and slaves. Now, if there's problems between father and child <coughs> and between husband and wife, how do you think the authority structure was in first century Rome with a slave and his or her master? Do you think that there would be the possibility of abuse of power in this relationship? Yes. You want to know why? Because being a slave is a lousy state of being. Being an employee under the hand of a, a ruthless boss is a lousy state of being. Now, I've actually met some people here in our church who have never worked for a lousy boss. People have told me that. Yeah, I see some people laughing, really. They, they said, no, this has never happened to me. I think it was in Sunday school. Maybe it was actually here during a sermon. I asked, have any of you ever been ripped off by your boss where your boss actually kept your money? You had earned that money and he kept it. And at that time, I forget exactly where I asked it, I was the only person in the room who could say, yeah, that's happened to me all kinds of times. Two or three different states. Someone's doing this. Must have been over in Sunday school, I'm guessing. Or Sunday night, maybe. We have Sunday night at 5.30. Working for a lousy boss is horrible. Walking, working for uh, an, a dishonest, ruthless boss is horrible. Now imagine being owned by somebody. You will read accounts and commentators who will say, you know, uh, slavery in the Roman Empire was very different than it was in Virginia or Rhode Island or New Jersey or, or Pennsylvania or South Carolina uh, in, in, our, in our country. Well, that's true. Whoopie-doo. Here's the big difference between slavery in America, or I should say slavery in the West, okay, the transatlantic slave trade, and the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, it wasn't based upon your race. Rome was an equal opportunity oppressor. You could be male, you could be female. You could be a Roman citizen, that's the only thing you couldn't be. Okay? Although a Roman citizen could renounce his or her Roman citizenship, okay, and sell themselves into slavery, they could. You could be male or female, you could be from Galatia, you could be from Northern Africa, they didn't care where you were from, you could be Irish, although they were called Gaelics, then the Celts. <coughs> they tried to get Germans, but they really couldn't, couldn't manage them too much. It didn't matter. Rome comes, Rome conquers, you become a slave. 
In the Roman Empire, slaves were bought and sold like merchandise. There are some people who try to ameliorate this and say, well, you know, they were like, they were like domestic servants. No, that's not true. A domestic servant is a hired hand. A domestic servant can, if he or she desires, leave if the contract is fulfilled. If you're a slave, when do you think the contract terminated? When the master said so. Logically, it's death, but that's not the case in the Roman Empire. If you have a slave, and that slave is doing work in your household, you want to feed the slave so the slave will do his or her job. You will want to clothe that slave and give that slave rest so that the slave can do the job properly, right? Right. What happens when the slave gets injured? Can't do the job anymore. Easy solution for Rome. They manumit you. They, they free you. You're not a slave anymore. Today's your lucky day. You're not a slave. By the way, now get out of my house. So now you're 50, 60 years old, which in the ancient world is really old. You're lame. You have no, you, the, skill that, the only skill you have you cannot do, but it's your lucky day. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty you're free at last. You're out on the streets of Rome, and you have nobody to feed you, nobody to clothe you, nowhere to lay your head. You will die quickly. You can try and sell, sell yourself into slavery, but who's going to want a 60-year-old slave with a busted-up leg? Don't let anybody fool you. Slavery in the Roman Empire was absolutely mind-numbingly brutal. The only difference is it wasn't based on race, and it wasn't primarily based upon kidnapping. Slavery in our country and in, in Europe, you know, during the transatlantic slave, it was based upon kidnapping. Okay? Kidnapping. America nor the nations of Europe went in, did not go into sub-Saharan Africa and have wars. They went in and took stuff, but they didn't had really no desire to stay there at the time. They traded with the African tribes. They traded silk, they traded probably cocoa, and they, guess what? They traded people. People forget that those Africans came from someplace. They came from other Africans. They would have a war. They would grab people. And they would then sell them. That's kidnapping. Kidnapping, listen carefully to me, kidnapping is a capital offense in God's mind. If you're a convicted kidnapper, you don't go to life imprisonment. You die. The transatlantic slave trade, slavery is not the issue. The issue is kidnapping. That means anybody, anybody, black or white, male or female, European or African or American who profited in any way from the transatlantic slave trade in God's eyes was worthy of death at the hands of the state. That's the difference. That is the basic difference. And we have to ask, why does Paul here deal with bond servants and slaves last? Well, he starts, and this is no, no again, I'm not being facetious, at the top in the household, the husband and wife, that is the prime relationship. Secondary to that is the relationship between parents and the children. And then after that, logically, is slaves. <coughs> slaves and servants. 
But here's the thing. What Paul is getting at is that they actually can be free while still being in servitude. And this is the principle for all of these relationships. It works for children who have fathers and parents who exasperate them. It works for wives who are living under the boot of an abusive or horrible husband. A husband who's incredibly demanding. And the key is this. Is to do the work that God has given you to do. Not as to men, but as to God. You see, if you actually think I'm doing this for God then in reality, the the human being above you has no real authority over you. The body they may kill, right? Luther says, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And that's exactly what Paul gets to. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Imagine you're there in that house church in Ephesus, and you're sitting there, a slave, and your master and his family are right in front of you. And you're, you're hunched down in the back. And this guy's been nasty to you your whole life. You're about 30. We'll make you 30. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. You're, you're there. You're his property. He got converted about six months ago. But his behavior really hasn't changed all that much yet. It takes a while for things to kick in. He's new at this Christianity thing. Lo and behold, this letter comes to the Ephesians. And here's this. Bond servants, slaves, he's addressing you. You see, people read this and say, well, Christianity, you know, Paul never overturned slavery. Christ never overturned slavery. You're right. Absolutely. What we do. The difference here is Paul is actually addressing slaves. That's not the way it works in Greco-Roman history. There are manuals of ethics The Stoics were great ethicists. Greco-Roman world was very concerned with how to have an orderly, well-managed household. And that is really what it's all about. How to keep your household under control. And virtually all of the Greco-Roman moralists deal with the guy who's in charge. And it goes something like this, and I'm putting it into our language. Fifteen ways to keep your household under control. This is how you do it, boys. This is how you treat your wife. This is how you treat your children. This is how you deal with your slaves. There's no underlying ethics to it. It's just a matter of keep the trains running properly. If you, the master of the house, want to have a nice life for yourself, then you've got to do these things. That's not how Paul is dealing with it. The Greco-Roman ethicists had no concern whatsoever for the slave. I shouldn't say that. Some of them were slaves. Epictetus was a a, a Stoic slave who was a great philosopher. And it's true that in the Roman Empire, slaves could be very educated. They can have positions of great responsibility. Uh, Someone could sell themselves into slavery because someone could have been incredibly educated. A former member of the Roman Senate, so to speak, and fell upon very hard economic times. They could have then sold themselves into slavery for a certain period of time. Now, if someone of that quality is there, unless you really hated the guy when you were in politics, you're not going to make him wash dishes. You're going to say, you know, you're in charge of my books. But you're still a slave. A slave in the Roman Empire could be beaten. A slave in the Roman Empire could be killed at will. 
The master had power of life and death. That's not the way it was even in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were clear laws about the way slaves were to be treated. Very clear ways. That is the difference between biblical ethics and secular ethics. There are actually rules for how you treat your slaves. And here, Paul is actually going one step further than Deuteronomy and Exodus. In Leviticus, he's telling the bondservants, he's giving slaves the lowest rung on the socioeconomic ladder. He is giving them instruction in how to live a godly life. This is absolutely earth-shattering. You can imagine the, the, the reaction in that situation I gave you to the master. He says, wait a minute. <laughs> You're talking to my slave now? You're talking to my slave? No, 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 no. You talk to me. I need to know how to keep this clown in line. Now you're going to talk to him first? Yes. Be obedient. Oh, okay, good. To your masters according to the flesh. Okay. What does that mean? That just means they're humans. They die. With fear and trembling, the master's going to say, I like this. And it means with fear and trembling to do it with utmost respect. In sincerity of heart. Now this is a little different. This is completely different. This is unique to Paul. In sincerity of heart. You see, Paul is telling bond servants, don't just do what you're supposed to do. Do it with joy. You see, Christian ethics... Are, are enormously hard to do. Now, in this passage, it looks like the husband has the, the hardest thing to do. I, I'd say no. The hardest lessons are for the bond servant. You're supposed to serve this master who owns you with sincerity of heart. As to Christ, see, that's the emphasis. The masters are according to the flesh. They're just human. But you're to work in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers. Why not men pleasers? Because you're not doing the job for men. You're doing it as to Christ. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. And I'll stop there for a moment. What he's telling the bond servants to do is you do everything the master says. You do it with fear and trembling. You do it with respect, but don't even worry about who he is because he's nothing special in the eyes of God. And the master in, the, in, in Ephesus would have realized that too. This is very clear to a first century listener. To do, to do it with good will. You know, we all know people that are great workers... When the foreman's around. Most people are better workers when the boss is around. Particularly if the boss could whip you or beat you or kick you or kill you. It's a very... It's a reason why violence exists in the world. It's an excellent motivator. It gets people's attention very, very quickly. The catch is, is it's subhuman. It's not supposed to be that way. The servant is to work as if they are working to Christ and not to men. Not only are they not to just do the job, they're to do it from, with sincerity of heart, with their entire being, with goodwill towards the master. Now, at first, the slave would have been thinking, wow, he's talking to me. That's wow. 
thought you were going to set me free. <laughs> what is this? I can't, I, can't, I can't smile at this guy. He's an ogre. But why are they to do that? Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. You see, Paul is flashing everything for the servant into eternity. Paul is telling the servant, listen, you've got a lousy master. You've got a lousy master. But he's only a master according to the flesh. Your service to him will be very short compared to eternity. You are in a state of servitude. Make the most of it. Do what you're supposed to do. Do it as to me. And on the great and final day, you will receive your reward. This was never uttered in all of human history until now. So when a liberal tells you, blah, 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 you say, you know what? This is absolutely mind-numbingly earth-shattering. There's no Greco-Roman ethicist who encouraged slaves to do this. They didn't encourage slaves to do anything. All the instruction was to the master. This is instruction to the slave, and it's putting the slave on equal footing with the master in the eyes of God. How do I know that? Well, now he gets to masters. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Only one sentence for the master. That's right. And you know what? (laughs) Uh, It would have been like a wrecking ball on a crane to the master. Do the same things to them. What? Masters do the same things to them. Put yourself in the place of the master in Ephesus when you first hear that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that I'm supposed to treat my slave the same way he treats me. Mm -mm. That's not the way it works, Paul. It's not the way it works. I own him. Now, people say, well, Paul's contradicting himself here now. You can't do the work the same way. Yes, what he's talking about here is the law of love. Calvin makes this point. I was going to read, but I'm not going to read it. Calvin says that this, masters do the same things to them, that this is constantly misinterpreted because it's an analogy, but nobody uses the right analogy. Now, some people did. Calvin did. The analogy is the law of love. In other words, the master is to love and to treat the servant, the slave, with goodwill. To treat him like a brother. There's another prison epistle called Philemon. It's a very, very short letter. It's written to a slave owner from Paul. He lived in Colossae. He was probably an elder at the church in Colossae. And his slave was named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from Philemon. He ran into Paul and got converted under Paul's ministry. Guess who delivered the letter to Philemon? <laughs> Onesimus. Paul says, listen, here's the way it works. Okay? You're free. Thank God. Here's a letter to your master. You have to go back to him. What? I have to go back? Yes, you have to go back. But I have instructions for him here. He's to treat you like a brother. I've also told him in this letter, by the way, I'm coming to visit. Get a bed warm for me. It says, receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. That's earth shattering. We have to read things in their first century context. Paul is telling masters, you have to treat them like human beings. 
Not only do you have to treat them as human beings, if you're a Christian master, you have to treat them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. You have to do goodwill towards them. In other words, when they're old and lame, you cannot kick them out. You buy them when they're five, you keep them. You want to go down that route, you keep them. You may not send them out. Furthermore, he says, giving up threatening. Never in the history of the world was this ever told to a slave master. Hey, give up threatening. This is God telling you to give up threatening. And what is this talking about? Well, it's talking about beating the daylights out of people until they do your job, do their job. And let's be honest, some people just like to beat the daylights out of people just to beat the daylights out of them. Hey, you know what? I'm not in a great mood today. You're my slave. You know, why don't you just bend over there? I'm going to whip you for a while. It happened all the time. You've worked for bosses like that, haven't you? Well, maybe not. Maybe you've led a charmed life. I don't know. They just come in in a bad mood, and even if you're working real hard, they are just going to work you harder and harder and harder. Just for the fun of it. Maybe you as a boss have done that. You know what? I'm not in the greatest mood. I just had a fight with a wife, just had a fight with a husband, and uh, wow, you're here, and boy, oh boy, are we going to have fun today. We're going to have fun today. Give up threatening. Why? Knowing that your own master is in heaven. Again, this is crazy language. You're a master and you're sitting there. It's like, I got a master? Caesar's my only master. You know, and remember, you've only been in this hypothetical. You've only been converted six months. I have a master in heaven and there's no, there's no partiality with him. The Roman society was stratified. Just like our society is stratified. There's a lot of people in this world who think they're better than other people. And there's some people who are crazy enough to think that on judgment day, they're going to be judged better just because they are better. Not realizing that they're going to be judged more strictly because they've been given a lot. The master would be judged much more strictly than the servant. Because the master has authority. That is why Paul deals with the authority figure in these three relationships. He always deals with the authority figure last. Husband, father, master. By the end of the reading of this, if you are the husband of the house, the father of the children, of course, and you are a master of your slaves, and you are an elder in the church, you would have been thinking, man, (laughs) this isn't for me. This isn't for me. I have to treat, I have to treat this, 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 this nagging wife. I, I've got to treat her like Christ treats me. And these kids are driving me nuts. I can't exasperate them. And now you're telling me I can't even beat my slaves. What's in this for me? Well, there's no partiality with God at the judgment seat of Christ. This is a radical passage. The problem is, is that we're impatient with it. And we chafe under its authority, and we chafe under the authority that God has given to us, and we are want to abuse the authority God has given to us. Now, there are many pastors, you can go anywhere, and they, they will skip right over all this, and they will say, well, this, the application for this in our time is employees and employers. Guess what? That's true. But I'm going to t- teach you something really important right now. A passage in the Bible can never mean what it never meant. If you go to a Bible study and the first question is, Hey, what does this passage mean to you? What does this passage mean to you? That's a perfectly fine question, but you know what? It's not the first question you should be asked. That's bad Bible study. The first question you should be asked is, What did this passage mean, one, to the guy who wrote it, 
Two, what did this passage mean to the first people who heard it? Only when you figure out those two things and it's not real hard, then you can move to applications to your life. But what does this passage mean to you? What does this passage mean to you? What does this one mean to you? It's not the way you do Bible study. You figure out what it means and then you move. So here's the lesson. If you're an employer, guess what? You have to treat your employees this way. If a, if a slave master in Rome had to treat slaves this way, then how much more do you have to treat your employees nicely? If you're an employee, which most of us are, we're employees. And by the way, we're all kind of slaves to the state. Right? We've sold our birthright. We pay a lot of taxes. You don't really start earning money until when? Halfway through March? Something like that? When is tax relief day? What do they call it now? May. No, it's not May. Oh, well, yeah, you're in the financial markets. It's May? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a coronary up here. Okay. Yeah, we're definitely in slavery. Kind of. Not really. Not really. We're not slaves. You can move to Mexico if you want. If a slave master and a slave were to act like this, then how much more are we to act like this in the 21st century when we have all of these freedoms? If a slave has to do it and you're more free than he or she is, then you have to do it as well. If a slave master has to do it and he had a lot more authority than you do as a boss, well then as a boss, you have to be the best. What this is all getting at, all of these relationships is, Christian has to be different than everybody around him. This all gets back to turning the other cheek. It all makes sense now. Master slaps you on the face. Let me ask you something. Someone robs somebody of $1,000. A friend robs another friend of $1,000. It happens all the time. Friend robs a friend of a thousand dollars. The friend finds out, sits the person down, and says, "Um, we have ourselves a problem here. You stole a thousand dollars from me. So I guess that you're really in need, huh? Tell you what, here's another thousand. Who's the slave and who's the master here now? Who's who's the thief? You see, the person giving that extra thousand doesn't have to do that." But if they do, what they're really saying is, you know what? If you're, th- if you're that bad off, man, you could have just come to me. I would have given you the money. But you must be really bad off. So here's another thousand. I-, I can afford it. Go in peace. Love and serve the Lord. That thief is going to walk out of there ashamed. You know, recently, uh, some politicians are saying, um, oh, man, they go low, we go high. Mm. Well, you know what? That's true. For us. They're not doing it, but we're supposed to. So go forth and treat everybody with the maximum amount of respect. And do your work as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, please help us to do that. Not as men pleasers, but as servants of you. In Jesus' name, amen.